Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with the one, the only, Rachel Nadel. What's going on, Rachel? Hey, Chris. I have um, some things to share today or some some questions that I'd like to talk about with you. you All right. You Let's down? Do it. Let's dive in. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. Okay. So this has come up a lot for me this last week and I was like, you know, I'm going to talk to Chris about this on the podcast because I'm seeing it over and over again. And so basically what I'm seeing is this idea, well, let me, let me start with a story. So I was uh, contacted by uh, a mom on uh, Instagram, which happens a lot. Like, here's my current AAC situation. I've listened to your podcast. I've watched your content. I appreciate it. I feel like my child needs robust language. <clears throat> She's right. And I'm like, good. <laughs> yes, great. I'm happy that's the message that I'm conveying and everyone's picking up on that message that I'm putting down. So she's like, and then of course, the second part of the story, and this is, I'm talking about one mom, but I could be talking about 50 moms because this, this happens a lot. Current situation is that her child doesn't have access to robust systems and they're being denied, denied access essentially. And this specific situation that I'm referencing, child profile just really quickly, um, I think around three and a half, uh, diagnosis of autism, um, no real issues with fine motor. Child was put on a Big Mac switch. And my first question is like, okay, where are the access issues that this child's having that like we would need some type of switch? Then of course I like talk to this mom, like getting more information. I'm like, I really don't think this is appropriate. I'm like, send me a little clip of like your child, like using YouTube. And of course it was like, bam, 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 got it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so like I suspected that there was no access issues. There are no access issues. And so I'm like, why, why, why are we doing a single message button essentially? And this was like, you know, this specific situation, it was like more please. And the child wasn't using it appropriately. And they're like, we need to get this cause and effect before we do anything else. Then after I heard this story and I was appalled, then I'm on Facebook literally the same day. And this, this post uh, on one of the Facebook groups was like, just got, you know, a 12 year old kid with autism on my caseload, not speaking. Like, what, what do I do? And like one of the first comments was like, have you tried cause and effect and or switches? And I'm like, what is this? And so Chris, am I like in the wrong here? Like, am I like thinking crazy that like, why are we using switches with kids who don't have access issues? No. You're not in the wrong. Because I'm like, I started questioning myself. I was like, wait a second. Like, am I in the wrong here? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Um, wow. Okay. So there's so much to unpack there. Uh, so clearly, if you've listened to this podcast at all before this episode, you're going to know our feelings on this on these situations, right? The bigger question is, how do you not know yet? Like, how do you not know that that's not appropriate? And I... I I, I'm trying to check myself because I'm always nervous that I'm going to devolve into some sort of complaint fest about the way things are, right? And, and that I, I don't want our podcast to become that, and I don't I don't want to be that person. I want to be the for the the person that comes up with solutions. But what the heck, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my, when you're telling me that story, I was thinking, is it 1992? Like, did you climb in a DeLorean and go back in time? That is so an old way of thinking about it. And we've learned and we've come so well. Many people have learned and come so far from understanding that. Um, it's such an ancient concept to do it that way. Yeah. I mean, 
I think because I because I'm thinking like what would be the rationale behind this? I needed to like really like step outside of like what I do and be like, okay, what could I possibly think of would be a rationale for having a single message button for a child who has no access issues? And don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for that when you are dealing with a child with access issues, teaching this idea of cause and effect and having something really great happen, like turning on music or a switch adapted toy, great. Like let's teach that function. And also, let me just like go back. This child has already demonstrated that they can use a picture exchange system. So they've already demonstrated that they have this idea of cause and effect. Like I give a picture to ask for the things that I want. So like that has already been established with this child. So I just don't get it. Like I just don't understand it. Like it feels like people are following this like prescribed journey of AAC that's like, okay, first we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this. And I just like don't understand it. Well, it makes me think that the people that put that sort of system in place have not done any professional learning, because I don't even know where you'd go to learn about how to do an approach like that anymore. Do you know? Every organization that I, that I am a part of, that I see advertise and I can't be a part of because of time constraints or financial constraints or whatever, nobody is advocating for that sort of approach anymore. Um, everyone is talking about robust language systems. Everyone's talking about um, how to do that in the most effective way. People are wrestling with this concept of how do we teach kids to read uh, and be literate? Like, we're at that stage in this evolutionary process of where we are. So it's almost like you're actively not, you haven't actively done any professional learning in the realm of language development for, for or AAC in the last, certainly 10 years, 15 years. I mean, for sure. Yeah. It's almost like you're like, you know, uh, wait, what was the, the movie, Chris, where uh, I think it's like Will Ferrell. I think it's school, uh, old school. Do you remember that movie where he's like, he's like earmuffs to his kid and he like puts earmuffs. That's what I, that's what it reminds me of. Someone like did earmuffs for the last 10 years and like refused to take any new and current information about AAC best practice. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, what's something that keeps coming up in um, my framework recently or my um, framework, again, it's not the right word, but it keeps coming up in my sphere of influence. Part of it is listening back to our, our podcast episodes, but also listening to other podcasts. So, for instance, we just had uh, Kim Albrecht on the as on the podcast, and I've been listening to the series that she's put out on her Loma podcast. And it's all about AAC, and it's all about literacy. And repeatedly, it's stories about parents who have done things because the professionals meant to help them didn't. <laughs> um, and that's what it seems like here. This is a mom reaching out to you saying, this doesn't feel right to me. What am I doing? I need another piece of advice because again, the profession hasn't moved fast enough. Um, hopefully this is, we are on the tail end of this, you know, uh, we're maybe riding the comet and she's at the back end of the comet tail. You know what I mean? I hope that's the case. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how to get a barometer on that. Well, the good news is I met with this mom. We had a Zoom meeting and I was like, listen, here's what I need to teach you. Here's what you can try. Here's what you need to advocate for. And so I feel like I could at least do a little bit to help. But it's just like it's very disheartening because I feel like I'm up against a battle of speech language pathologists 
you know, and it's just like, can't we all like be doing best practice and what we know? And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there still. Um, it's so hard for me because I just think there's so many families out there like this family and they've a lot of them contacted me, but think about all the, the families who haven't, you know, and are just like knowing that there's more for their child and having professionals not do the right thing and to not give access to more language. Mm -hmm. Well, you use the phrase, a lot of misinformation out there. And I wonder if that, if there's a lot of misinformation, like on social media, or if people are just not going to the right places to get their information. Like, like I mentioned, I don't know that there's a lot of misinformation from big organizations no. or something, you know, but maybe it's like these one-off giving advice that um, is where the misinformation comes about. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we know we're on the pulse of the AAC sphere of influence. Like we have talked to all of the thought leaders in AAC and watched their presentations. And I'm not seeing anybody spread misinformation. Um, so I think it perhaps is like, Two things. I think one, social media, it's like you go there sometimes to just validate your own line of thinking. So it's like there's going to be at least one person here who agrees with me when I post this, um, you know, and so that's like enough validation to keep doing what I'm doing. The second layer of this, I believe, is this is the way I've always done it and this is the, always the way I'm going to do it. And it doesn't matter what information I get. That's wrong information. And this is the way I've always done it. And this is where I've seen success. Mm -hmm. And I do, I get great feedback on my evaluations from my supervisors. So, or, or from whoever my, my, my superior is. So why should I change? And, uh, two, I've convinced myself that, that the evidence suggests this works because when I look at my data, assuming we're collecting data, the student, then they're now hitting the Big Mac. And so they went from not hitting a Big Mac and so my score, my data says zero, and uh, now they're hitting the Big Mac 25% of the time, progress, you know? So my evidence suggests that it works. But if you don't have the end game in mind of a comprehensive, uh, snug, um, spontaneous novel utterance generation, being able to say whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, to whomever you want to say it, if you don't have that in mind, then the... The data doesn't have a, it uh, doesn't mean a hill of beans, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And it's just, oh, it's so frustrating because I always think about this too. We have so much work to do with our kids with complex communication needs. There's so many things that we could work on and teach them. And it's just like, we really have our work cut out for us. And I'm like ready to like roll my sleeves up and get in there. And so when I see wasted time, when I see something that I'm like, we're spending all this energy on something that, you know, this is not a long-term system for this student. So why would we spend all this energy teaching the system when instead we can take all that energy, find a long-term solution and start building skills for that long-term solution. So it's just very frustrating to me. I'm like, Stop wasting time. We, are, we only have so much time and it's limited and we have a lot to do. So we need to make sure that we're prioritizing goals. And especially when we're thinking about AAC selection, finding a system that's long term. Um, you know, I, and I've talked a little bit about like early intervention, sometimes doing like a stepping stone AAC, like, hey, download this 
free AAC speech generating app just to like see how it goes. I'm all about that. But I'm always clear, this is a stepping stone tool. This is like one thing we're gonna do, but then eventually we're gonna do this other thing that's more long-term. And I feel like we get stuck in these systems that aren't robust and we're waiting for kids to show us proficiency with those systems. And sometimes that proficiency doesn't come. And it's just like, what a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Deep breaths. I know. I'm going to drink more of my coffee and meditate after this. <laughs> I, a strategy that I try and give myself when I'm feeling this way is understanding that, and it's a hard, it's really hard, but understanding that these systems of change take decades, not years, maybe is the way to put it, um, because it's such a slow change. But if you look back a decade ago, we have come so far. So when I look back and I climb in my DeLorean and I go back in time, I think where at least I was professionally and where we, the the people that I talked to, um, we have moved so far. And I count that as a win. And it also goes to this idea of training out our pre-service SLPs. I feel like we have such an opportunity to make a huge difference with all of those clinicians who are in graduate school doing their CFY. I feel like I've seen a lot of really great young clinicians know a lot about AAC, and I feel like very inspired by that because it feels like this new generation of speech language pathologists, they're, they're tech savvy, they're, you know, understanding the need for robust language systems and the idea of core words and aid of language input and all these things. Um, I know, Chris, we've gotten a lot of emails from college professors who say they use our podcast um, in their AAC course uh, or the coursework that they have their students do. So that does give me hope that things are changing and evolving. And you're right. I need to be more patient. Things do take time and they have evolved and they're going to continue to evolve. Why it's so hard to be so patient is because we care about the people we work with right now and really, and we're helping the people we work with right now. But um, the big systemic change that we'll see will really not necessarily benefit the people we're working with right now. It'll benefit the people 10 years from now, you know, and it's not the, the kids we're working with right now. It's the kids of the kids we're working with right now that will really reap the benefits that that will really um uh, what's that phrase? Standing on the shoulders of giants. Do you know what I mean? The um, they'll be in a whole different world, and uh, every step we take in that direction gets us there faster. Hundred percent. So, ready for the interview today? Tell me about it. So, this is part two with Amy Fleischer and Corinne Nelson. They reached out to talk about the specific language system first approach and how they might embrace that in their neck of the woods and what uh, what that might look like. And so part one was last week and part two is coming right up. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love for you to take a few minutes to hit the subscribe button so you always know when we release new content. Even better, if you leave us a review on iTunes, then more people will find this podcast and learn about AAC. We also love reading your reviews on air. Thank you so much for your support. We love this community. Now we can head back into the episode. Corinne, just to, Amy, you might be familiar with this, but Corinne, so so I familiarize you with 
where my my thought process is on this is that we've moved away from doing individual evaluations for a lot of tech, including AAC. And what we do instead um, is, and, and doing sort of trials, because uh, I think there's some, like I already mentioned, some problems with trials. But instead, what we do is a collaborative decision-making process where someone brings up the question of, we think a student needs X. In this case, we'll talk about AAC. We think a student needs AAC. Great. What should it be? We have a, uh, a meeting um, that involves as many stakeholders as possible, including the parents, including the, um, or this is like what I advocate for, what I advocate for anyway, is for the parents to be there and maybe any private pr practitioners to be there. And we say, okay, we know we want a student to have AAC. What are the considerations here? Well, we know we need robust language system. Let's put that on the list. We, and um, I, you see my fictional chart over here, Corinne, behind me, right? So chart- this is the first column here. See my little row over here? It's column number one. So you're filling out column number one and the first column is, well, we know we need robust access to language. We wanna keep the buttons in the same spot. We, uh, does the student speak other, other languages? Well, then let's make sure that the, the system we're looking for has a language you know, that, that supports that second language. Um, and one of the things on that consideration can be, What's the training look like? How familiar are the people supporting the student with this particular um, application? It doesn't need to be the determining factor, but it could be a factor that you're considering. And you make this, this list of all the things you'd like to consider. And then you have these columns to the right that say, Prolo Quo, Lamp Words for Life, Touch Chat, Snap Plus Core First, whatever the other applications might be, and you see which one comes out in the wash. Um, for that particular student. And this way, everyone has a voice in the selection process. The implementation goes up because we all own the, the decision-making. It wasn't like this was imposed on us by somebody else. Um, and then you try, like you just pick, and that's the thing we're running with, which provides a level of consistency across the board. Well, we all went through this process and this is what we selected. And you have the evidence to to demonstrate to back up your claim of why you think this should be the the tool you chose by showing this little chart that you filled out. Do you know what I mean? So when anyone goes back and goes, well, how did you pick Prolo Quo? Well, it was in the environment already. Really? That's how you picked it? Well, actually, we had a collaborative decision making process that um, where all the stakeholders were involved. And if you did that consistently for a year again that might be another way to see what comes out in the wash you know you'd say okay well we're not immediately adopting this approach but we've done i don't know 15 20 of these across our district and what we see now is that this particular device this particular app comes out of the wash most frequently and then the third way to kind of establish what you could choose is to get some stakeholders together and say okay we are a, we maybe we should consider this approach. What would the app be? You know, we get uh, a Corinne, we get an, 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 a teacher who works um, at the secondary level, we get an administrator, we get a bunch of people in a room and we make a decision that way, you know, um, which could be another way you make kind of a, a global decision. So, what are your thoughts on all of that? I could imagine trying to take just a first stab at that chart with the group of SLPs. Maybe if we have the opportunity down the road to include teachers, actually I could bring it to our life skills teachers to try and 
combine, just come to more shared understanding about the pros and cons of each system without considering specific students. But I actually really like that idea, Chris, that maybe we take a year and we try to implement the same process and then make assessments. Because actually I was thinking about how eager I am to, to help revise the system, but I lack context and experience in this system. And I think trying to do it before I actually get to know the stakeholders would be a problem. And so maybe this is a structured way to work towards the goal of more coherence using our 15 to 20 specific students whom we took this approach with to see what came out in the wash. Amy, I'll even add that process that I'm talking about there is not unique to AAC. That's sort of where we go for all resource, we, we call it resource consideration, right? We're not even assistive technology, just we think the kid needs something. Well, okay, let's talk about what the needs are. And then, then we can lay out the, the possible tools that will meet that need. Um, but doing that, AAC is one of the things we're having the most frequent conversations about, you know? What do you think, Corinne? Sorry, I do want to hear what Corinne thinks. I just want to say I've tried to make that AT considerations process more um, easier to, to do with, uh, sorry, just something where it's more consistent. But what I found is each team needs something different. And so I don't see that the same table or the same process works for each team. So I'm a little cautious about thinking that that's easy. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's definitely not easy. And it's also a skill for you to learn to facilitate that process because we is, if there's such a thing as an AT person, we're often taught to be the fixer. Like we bring you in to do the evaluation to tell us what we need as opposed to guide us for we, us making our decisions together, you know? Sure. And it's a hard hat for us to, to take off because taking that, sometimes they choose stuff that we wouldn't necessarily think is the right thing, you know? So Corinne, what do you think about that whole process in relation to AAC and making a selection, you know, process using a facilitated uh, collaborative experience like that? I think that's a really good idea. It makes me curious about what actually is being used out there. You know, I have my own personal experience and I've been in a few different buildings, but I, I don't know what another SLP, what her AAC use looks like at another school. And so uh, right now, it makes me want to go back and just pool and see what uh, what is realistically being used. And even, I mean, I think even if we were to do that, there, I think there's levels of use. There's the kid has access to it. The kid is we're modeling it, but he's not really using it, or he's using it um, consistently. And I, and even amongst those, I think there's even more levels. And I'd be curious just what my SLP group is doing. I think a collaborative model would go over better in my district than a team comes in and says, use this. Mm -hmm. I just, I think a slow transition will work better. Um, and then the other thing is, and I, I don't want to discredit Amy, but my mentality, and I would imagine others in the district of her job is is more, get me the app I need. I have a tech question. And, I, and again, I'm not... And that's just, I think, our naivety and just the fact that our district hasn't really explained what your role is. And she came in and she is she is fighting against that and I, in a good way. And I think you are letting us know like, hey, I'm here for more than just that. I can do more than just push your, your request to the right people. Um, 
And, and so I, I, I feel like Amy has a little bit of an uphill battle, like you mentioned, Chris, of just informing and educating the staff of what her role can be and what you can do. Um, and I'm happy to help advocate with you for that or be an example of, of what you can do in a school. But um, just giving you a background of what I think we kind of saw her position as. Yeah, that's not atypical, actually. I think there's a lot of school districts around, a lot of teachers, a lot of um, people that, I'm going to put it in air quotes, an AT person supports that see the AT person as like gopher from the Muppets. You know what I mean? You go for, get so, go for, get something, you know? And yeah. we're not Amazon. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, I think the AT people would say, we're not Amazon. We can, uh, we could build some sort of database for you can get, and, and we can have um, the, the mail system deliver what you want that if we want to do that. And our expertise is helping you select, you know? Um, and that's and, what we're working on is doing, I'm trying to build a self-serve app store so I don't have to be the one to provide every app, but can help with that conversation about which one you're going to use. Sorry, Chris, didn't mean yeah. to interrupt. Uh, Corinna, also to 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 highlight something you said there that I think is really poignant is that um, there's a phrase that I often hear, or at least I, I I once heard, and it often comes ringing in my mind, is that people don't fear change, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. Meaning, if we were to come in and and say this is the app we're using as a specific language system first, they'd go hell no. You know what I mean? Don't I don't don't move my cheese. I'm really comfortable with this particular app. But if we were to take a slow roll to it and say, look, over the last you know year and a half, two years, and we've been having this kind of facilitated process, student by student, look at what the data is showing. Um, could you help us formulate a more consistent approach so that kids aren't switching apps willy nilly and we're not accidentally tripping over which app should be, you know, then people are, and they're invited to help make that change. You'll have so much more buy-in. I think that's really wise. That was my experience with the AT process. I just found myself in a district that was ready for change. And I had the chance to sit down with all the stakeholders and say, does this make sense to you? What would you change? And it was really collaborative. And I realized like, that wasn't just me. That That's no reflection of my skill. That was just being in the right place at the right time when people were ready for it. And so I'm trying to read Bellingham and figure out when is our time. But this feels hopeful to me because it feels like there is something we can do to work towards the goal of that. Or I see a starting point for the And I think process. this is a good time, Amy, at least... With, I mean, we, at the beginning of the year, I think the tech thrown on us with having to be remote was astounding. I mean, I cannot even tell you all the different systems that I had to learn. I mean, from Skype business to Zoom, I mean, everything and everything in between. And so um, I think it's a good time to kind of people are a little bit more open. Maybe. To, I'm sorry, what? Maybe they're feeling empowered that they can make judgments about the technology or right because they are like hey I know a little bit about technology now I used to not only get on the computer to do my email and now I can do all these other things mm-hmm. so so when you're making this um so let's say let's say you take this slow roll and do it student by student and have this facilitated process right and and you're making decisions like I said student by student something else you could be working on maybe systemically would be the implementation process. Because like you said, Corinne, it, it's, it, that seems also be like scatter plot, you know, like, uh, you know, um, 
Some people are implementing it well. Some people are doing it with fidelity. Others aren't, you know. So again, something we sort of embraced in our neck of the woods was this uh, impact model um, where the idea is that we picked one salient thing. We didn't, there's there's least to most prompting. There's um, the car and crowd strategy. There's um, rap, rap, rap as a strategy. There's master pal and there's s'mores. And these are all these things that float out there as strategies for to help people uh, implement AAC, we picked one and said, we feel like this is the strategy we wanted to work on, which we picked s'mores. Other people have picked MasterPal. Other pick, people have picked, again, maybe that's where the committee, how can we come up with what do we want to be our through line from schools and have a common vocabulary? And we're going to, so essentially, how can we get make people better modelers? That's what was our, our in our neck of the woods. That's the question we act, asked. And we picked s'mores as, as the term, terminology we use so that everybody would say, okay, we could put posters up there. Everyone would know what that means. We kind of drilled it and killed it and trainings and coaching sessions. But that I guess that's not something that you would wait three years until you have a specific learning system approach that, that has evolved to. That's something that you could work together. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, well, what's our implementation look like and how can we make that more consistent as well? And I have a question about that. Do you, who do you train? Who do, do you go directly as like the AT? Do you go directly to everybody or do you go to your SOPs and then rely on your SOPs to then go train the teachers and the teachers to train the paras? Mm -hmm. Just curious. Yeah. So the way we did it um, and are doing it is that we did lead with the SLPs, but we did like our training on this one skill of modeling, not all the other nonsense, like, oh, let me teach you about Proloquo and Lampards for Life. And let me teach you about all the different apps. And oh, let me teach you about, you know, least to most prompting. It was, how do you model? You go slow, you, you model by talking about what the student's doing, you model talking about what we do, we talk about something we see in the environment we model. So, and we did that in a very slow, we, we spent the first quarter of a school year focusing just on the SLPs. Then quarter two, three, and four, we spent on the teachers, them coming to trainings doing that. But let me be very clear about that. It was a two-pronged approach where there was um, trainings where you, you come and you learn about the concept and you practice a little bit with like partners. You know, imagine Corinne and I, you, are, you and I are teamed up. And so we're practicing modeling with each other. So when I go out with a student, I have, I've got through the awkwardness of like, you know, of what that feels like. Um, and then we had a coaching experience where the AT person's role, but it could also be maybe one or two speech therapists that really jive on this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? They really are, you know, they're really into it. Our sort of coaches that say, okay, remember how we practiced the s'mores thing or that master pal thing? We had practice going slow. You're going to practice it with a student. I'm going to watch you do it. I'm going to record you doing it. Then we're going to look at this video and we're going to watch ourselves and we're going to reflect on it. Look, what did you, how did you think your modeling went there? You know? And we're going to do, you know, a number of sessions that way um, so that you can get be, become more confident in your skills. So it's not just knowledge, but it's also the, the practice. And so that's how we did it. We have yet to um, really tackle the paras, but that is sort of on the horizon. And then the third component there, Corinne, because you said like people are so ready for it with the technology, is... Uh, a question that I'd be asking in a, if I was re revisiting, you know, we're already into a process here, right? So you're crafting that process, would be, hmm, 
in distance learning, you've probably spent a lot more time with parents than you ever have, right? Uh, in in Zoom calls, and they're there with you when they're doing the the experience. What kind of coaching could I provide to them so that because that's going to be the consistent through line for the student's life, you know. Uh, they won't run into the turnover of teachers. I, I mean, they'll always have that parent. So if we could spend more time coaching that parent and teaching them, maybe that's where I would be thinking about what we could do differently in our neck of the woods would be maybe, hmm, how can we get parents more involved in that training slash coaching process? So I just threw a lot at you, but what are your thoughts there? I'd like to ask Corinne a piggyback question about all of that. Like, how do you... Th- given that there are so many demands on learning new technology and just the chaos that is schools right now, where do you think that kind of training would fit in the, the department's goals or our district goals? Like, could we make focus on modeling a priority or would people view that as like, I only need that if I have students who use AAC. I hate to think that way, but I imagine some people do. I think it would have to not be presented as a technology, like this is an additional technology skill, but actually like a professional development therapy skill. And we would have to go about it as as that way. Um, And yeah, they might know it, but it never hurts to learn more or learn different things. I mean, I followed Chris, I know car and crowd, but I actually don't know s'mores. Um, So there's a lot for me to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think in our district, we're we're, we're doing this unique thing right now where, and maybe it's not unique, maybe all districts are doing it. Um, But because we have, you know, staggered days that our kids are coming and kids don't come on Wednesdays. They come Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday for the kids that are coming. I shouldn't say we have our entire district back. We don't yet. Um, Wednesday is a lot more professional development. And so you're having different, and and it lends itself to providing some information. Does that answer your question? Did I? I'm, I'm really asking, um, from a place of ignorance about the scope of SL of speech practice, like would a given clinician feel like modeling is a skill that relates to um, the vast majority of their students or would they feel like it's a specialized skill? Well, I would say a specialized skill because if you don't have an AEC, it doesn't quite fit the exact same way. I mean, we still model. It's just, it's just a little bit different is how I would probably answer that. However, given our schools, we now have preschools and nearly every developmental preschools, which that may be shifting a little bit. I'm not sure. Um, We have so many different life skills. When I started in the district, I believe there were two schools with life skills. And now we have one, two, three, four Four that I can think of off the top of my head, I might be missing one. Elementary schools with life skills. Um, so there's just expanding. So the SLPs, you, your caseload mean that you you could go three years without ever having a kid with AAC, and now we're we're not in that anymore. So I think it would be a more universal skill because we are just there's just more kids that need it. There's this they're spread out a little bit more, and I think a lot of that comes with the technology. Chris, you might be able to speak to this of inclusion, and rather than put all the kids from the district into one class at the north end of the school district, we're trying to put them into different schools closer to where they live. 
So Sorry, people, people aren't watching the video. They're just listening. They didn't see me do my little jig there, my little dance. <laughs> yeah. You just talked yourself into it, Corinne. You started out thinking, I think it's a specialized skill. No, it's generalized. And you went right to it. You know, it was fantastic. <laughs> well, and I think at one point it was more specialized. And I think over time we we've definitely broadened more. We've been and preschoolers coming in and and it's just, it's just different now. The district, it, a lot has changed. I mean, you mentioned the technology has changed, but so much has changed in 10 years that it's very different. I think also the understanding and people becoming more and more familiar with AAC and that phenomenon that I was talking about of tier three becoming tier one, people's eyes open more to and are more accepting of AAC as a, oh, we don't have to wait. Like let's let's provide it now, and it because we know it doesn't hurt anybody. There's no harm in it. You know, the worst thing that would happen is that we might provide somebody with a resource that they ultimately didn't need. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or they used it for a while, and that's like least dangerous, right? Is we provided it to you, and you said at some point, "Hey, no, thank you, I don't need this anymore." Great, you know. Um, so even if there is a handful of um, people that are like, "I'm not sure I need this right now." They will. They don't know that they don't need it right now, but they will. It's coming. You know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just takes one kid. One kid moves into your school and you need it. That's mm -hmm. what we saw happen in our preschool in the last district. And that that SLP started doing aided language input and it just took off for the whole program. And then it came up through the grade levels. And it. so I, I'm under the impression that it's a really powerful universal approach but I just wondered, like, what would people's impression be if we tried to pitch this as a I think goal? it would be good. And the other thing is um, I had a great education for my master's program, for my speech language pathology program. But we had a weekend class on AAC. A weekend. Two days. <laughs> that was it. Um, this yeah. comes up in the podcast all the time, Corinne, that the, the pre-service learning is lacking. Um, Again, I think all of academia is trying to catch up um, as fast as possible. But that again, that is a big boat to turn around. Do you know what I mean? It takes mm -hmm. it takes miles to turn that oil tanker. So, um, but it's getting better. You know, I, I, there's more people are 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 looking at AEC than ever before. But it, it's too late for you. You already did it. You know, you've already you're already <laughs> not going back to that. <laughs> not going back. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a question about how you might structure your, let's say we come up with a format for feature matching and we try to do that for our individual students going forward. I can imagine the list of needs on the left, the column, and then the subsequent columns of each app. Is there a way to also factor in um, well, maybe the, I would, Corinne was pointing out how we have different um, different types of users um, and different ideas about what it is to be a functional user. And so I was wondering if there's a way to incorporate that kind of information into this chart. <laughs> well, yes and no. So like you could have a chart that is sort of pre-filled. Our district believes in these sort of universal truths, you know? So there's, for instance, um, a project that, well, Amy, were you were you ever a part of it at ATIA? Um, the AAC agreements, did you ever? I'm afraid not. I've heard about it, but I haven't been part of it. 
Okay, so Corinne, what this is is at these ATIA. It started at ATIA, uh, which is a conference, you know, a conference down in Florida every year on assistive technology. There's this event on Fridays we were talking about where you go and you sit around a table, right? And we talk about um, whatever we want to talk about. Well, one of the things that came up multiple years in a row was this thing called AAC agreements because everyone seems to have these little little variations on what they think is the uh, would be a universal truth in the field of, of AAC. Well, I think we should be doing this. I think we should be doing that. Well, what are some things we all agree on? And we uh, we created this website called the AAC agreements, which are sort of things that we believe many AAC people who work in AAC believe are sort of universally accepted as these are the are true things that we should be working for. So you could take that, something like that, and you could pre-populate column number one with some of that, you know, so that we knew these are these are things we don't have to negotiate at the table. We all agree these things are important. That said, I do feel like that could take away a little bit of that um, uh, ownership of the decision-making process. Some of that was already made. So Amy, that's where your skill comes in as a facilitator or whoever's facilitating, right? To go, all right, everybody, what do we think starts in column one? And people kind of look blankly at you and be like, well, do we believe we all want to learn language? Yes, we all believe that. All right, let's write that down. Because you have that skill and your knowledge in your head that you could be guiding those questions and asking the questions in a way that gets them to fill out the thing in an appropriate manner. Do you know what I mean? Um, Cause you wouldn't, for instance, you wouldn't necessarily go, uh, if you saw a team go, well, we think we, the student might, we think yes and no as a first step is an important thing. So we wanna have two buttons. Can you write that down in the first column? You'd know and alarms would be going off in your head. Like, no, we don't want yes and no to be, and we have to wait and they get two buttons. So you'd have to be thinking about, hmm, okay, what what makes you think yes and no would be good? How do you feel like that's going to help them learn language? That's the skill that you would be sort of practicing and drawing out in people to get them to the fact that, oh yeah, maybe that's not what we want. Does that help at all? I'm going to remain hopeful that the district will continue to embrace me and invite me to those meetings <laughs> and that I'll have time in my schedule because it's, I, I, can imagine that kind of conversation in a theoretical context, but in my given my current constraints, I think it's going to be more like sharing a static resource that might be used in a meeting where I'm not in attendance. Gotcha. Well, could your so a couple thoughts here? Could the professional learning that you were talking about could that be sort of part of it? Is let me teach you how to do a whatever this process is called. You know, whatever we call it, resource consideration, right? So could I? help you through the process of what resource consideration looks like. Here's a fictional student, you know. Now, you guys walk through what kind of questions would you ask to get the student the tools you think they need so that someone like Corinne would be leading that meeting at her IEP meetings, you know, and you would, and then come to you, not for a tool, but be like, okay, I need to talk to somebody. What? Uh, um, this is what happened in this meeting, or here's what I'm anticipating happening. But can you give me some pointers on what you think I should do, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering too, with, with me being here and being present and I have students, I have one student that I think I just emailed you, Amy, about how I'm not sure about the trial, whether it's working. Um, we can try it. Like I can put those meetings together and we can start at my school. And I have a couple kids that we could just like one girl, she just moved in and 
she had AAC and we don't know what she had. They think she had Proloco, but you know, so we could maybe try that. And then that would give you some practice. And then we could see the feasibility and say, Hey, look, it works or whatnot. Um, I also had a question. I don't know. I don't want to move on too quickly. Uh, I mentioned that our district has uh, really invested in the past on PECs. And so I think there's a little bit in our, at least I have felt this way. I can't speak for everybody else, but I've heard, heard this. Can't move on to, to an iPad. You can't move on until, until we get PECs, until we, we go through PECs first. Um, and so then I, I think that's a little bit of a roadblock, like, oh, well, I haven't done pecs with this kid yet. And well, I don't really have the resources. So, oh, we're not going to do anything. I, I don't know if that happens elsewhere. Um, <laughs> all over the place. Yes. All over the place. So what do you do? What, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you need pecs beforehand or do you, can you just jump in? I, what are your thoughts? And how do you, how, how do you combat that? This is for you, Chris. And how do you combat that? If that is the culture in our district of, well, we can't do this until we have PECs. And Amy came in and she does not have that mindset. And so that's been refreshing because I don't have to say, well, I'm going through PECs. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, even a, a teacher just the other day, well, we haven't done PECs yet, but. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple ways. One, I can tell you how I broke my own mindset of that. So, cause I used to be that way. I was that person, which you're describing, you know, and I think that's, there, there's a lot of people that way. So the first process I went through is, and it took me 15 years to come to this, right, is I saw students start and end in the school district that were using PECs. And here's a, just a good question to ask. How many people do you see walking out on the last day of school using PECs? Where are proficient PECs users, you know? Um, where are the kids that say, thank you so much, Miss Nelson, for teaching me pecs. Do you know what I mean? That's the strategy I needed to get me over the hump. The, 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 I, I, I'll shout it from the rooftops. Please bring me those students and tell me who they are because then I'll change my mind. But otherwise, I don't see that happening. So there's no evidence that I can find that backs up the claim that one that that, that is a precursor to anything else or that it's a strategy that actually works, you know what I mean, um, in the long run. You know, there might be some short-term gains, but I believe those short-term gains could also be happening with robust AAC that doesn't affect, that doesn't negatively impact the motor planning or the learning of language, meaning I'm keeping the buttons in the same spot. So instead of doing, th uh, this is a visual, but reaching out and grabbing a piece of paper and handing it to somebody or using my finger to point to a, like that reaching to a finger and pointing and pressing a button, that motor plan can seem consistent for the rest of my life or ripping off a piece of paper doesn't. Um, so, so that's one is like, show me the evidence. Where is it working? Um, the second thing, and I guess that's the same question that I would ask is, um, what evidence do we have that backs up the claim that you bet PEX is a precursor to anything else, you know? And in fact, I think you can find much more evidence that suggests that it's not, that, um, that, that there are AAC users out there that have never even heard of PEX or seen PEX. And they might be very thankful of that because they were using a robust language system from the get-go. They were having consistent motor plans. They weren't changing where the buttons were. They had people teaching them about language as opposed to um, requesting, you know? So I don't know, are those some ways to maybe consider that might break down that, that wall? 
I, I think there's one other thing too. One of the reasons we did, we, meaning a culture of our country and possibly the world, is that back in the day, AAC was $5,000 to get something, you know? So if you're looking at that for all the kids that might possibly need it, it immediately becomes too uh, expensive of a solution. So we've convinced ourselves that the low-tech paper solution works because, man, I don't want to say that that, I don't want to say I haven't been like that. I don't want to say that my therapy hasn't been effective. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so now that AAC is much more inexpensive, do you know what I mean? I mean, we're talking less than a thousand dollars for, or, you know, $1,200 for a solution for someone's life. You know, that, um, that's a very doable number, I think in most places, do you know what I mean? There's still, obviously, I don't know your, again, your demographics or people listening might go, what? That's, that's still, you know, I mean, people struggle for resources everywhere, but it's much more doable than 5,000, you know? Yeah. Thanks. Um, there's one other thing I kind of want to bring up there. I keep mentioning this motor planning and you sort of suggested it, Amy, um, uh, uh, something that is, um, I don't know, a red flag that comes in my head about your former district, because what I hear a lot of people doing, um, and I see a lot of it in Facebook groups and the social media that I follow and the videos that I see, and when I go to conferences, I see people talking about it, is sort of a universal core board. And I, I again, I caution people about that. N nothing about, um, I love the idea of core boards, right? Um, but the idea that it's that it is not a precursor to a more robust system, um, meaning I'd want it to be a precursor, or I'd want it to be a uh, something that flows with a more robust system because of that phenomenon of motor planning, meaning I take this sort of randomized core board and I've got random core words on there because I learned about core vocabulary and I've been told that this this core board will work. I provide it to students and it does work. Uh, they're making progress on the core boards. I see them modeling on it. Uh, I mean, I see them using it. So, but then at some point, if I really believe they're going to have access to thousands of words, then I got to rip that sucker out of their hand and I got to give them something more, or I got to add a new system on top of it. Yeah, you could still use that old system sometimes, but now I got to add something where the words are in a different spot. You know, go is not this motor plan anymore. It's now it's different one. So I kind of like the idea of using a core vocabulary board that is in line. It's like a screenshot of the homepage of uh, Lamp Words for Life, Prolo Quo, whatever that specific language system first approach thing is that you choose, you know. What are your thoughts Sorry. on that? I didn't mean to cut you off. I That's what we did. We designed the core board in Prolo Quo and then we made sure that that file was available for installation on the classroom devices and so that the layout was similar. Exactly. And, now you have a flow, right? Right. And I, my understanding, again, as uh, coming from outside of the speech field is that functionally your high tech system just isn't always going to work and you're going to need every high tech system should come with the low tech system for those scenarios where it's glare from the sun or you know whatever your device isn't charged so that's why i would a red flag would come up if someone said this is a precursor and then we'll go here but like and we'll abandon the whole thing it's always a package deal in my mind 100 percent. every every person who i've met who's a aac user is their primary form of expression is some sort of they also have 
multiple tools in the same way that uh, sometimes I use a pen and sometimes I use sticky notes and sometimes I use a phone and sometimes I use a keyboard. You know, primarily I communicate with my voice. Primarily they're using their robust system, you know, their robust app. But then there's all these other ways for alternative situations that they might use. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're running low on time, but how does that all sound? Any kind of final thoughts or takeaways? What are your, what are your, where are you thinking from where you came to this this meeting to our, our meeting of the minds to to where you're leaving? What are your thoughts? I've got some work to do. <laughs> I've got some more learning to do to lead those those collaborative discussions effectively. You know, but that's okay because I enjoy the learning. So. I do feel energized and I feel really grateful, Corinne, that you're willing to go on this journey with me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, similar, I feel, um, a a lot of learning I need to do. Uh, I don't see it necessarily as my role as the, the catalyst of change, but I am happy to, to help and be there with Amy as she does this. And so maybe someday that will be my role. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so a lot of it's it's a lot, it's a lot. And as an SLP, I mean, I just being told you have more to do is always terrifying and daunting. But to be walked through it rather than just told is is different. So yeah, yeah wouldn't I, you rather be part of it, right, than imposed on you? Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> this conversation um, broke down this larger goal into some steps that would feel more like involving the stakeholders as opposed to designing some system that was, you know, we're going to implement on this state. So I appreciate that we've been able to break it down into some actionable steps that fall in line with how I see my role as it was designed, not necessarily how I envision it. It's just consistent with what we are all already doing and want to do better every day. Well, thank you both for coming on the podcast, for your for for sharing uh, everything that you shared, and as, especially your open mind to all of these new ideas um, and your willingness to try and like figure this out for your district. You know, I champion both of you um, as being agents of change. You know, because if you guys don't do it, then who's going to do it? You know, <laughs> so so uh, I appreciate you coming on and and this great discussion. Thanks for reaching out, Amy. Thank you, Chris. This was super exciting to me as a big fan of the podcast. So I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.